You are listening to the 2022 Air and Space Power Conference, brought to you by the Royal Australian Air Force's Air and Space Power Centre. In this presentation, Air Vice Marshal Andrew Clark contributes with their discussion on regional perspective on the future operating environment. We join the presentation as it is introduced to the conference attendees. Lieutenant Koto Katoa, uh, greetings to you all. Uh, it is great to be here today. The drawbridge is uh, back down. You'll be pleased uh, to know out of New Zealand. And um, once again, uh, thanks Air Marshal Hupfeld for, uh, for bringing us together. Now, New Zealand is one of the smallest countries represented here today. And as such, an effective rules-based international system is central to our security. The piecemeal challenges to that system that we've seen over the recent years have caused growing concern and now the outright violent rejection of that system that we're witnessing is a rallying call. The survival of our rules-based order will depend on the strength of our collective determination and our sustained attention span over time. So this is the context for the future operating environment and I'm going to add a few words about that today from the New Zealand regional perspective. Now, the region, of course, means different things to different people, so I want to narrow it down a bit within the wider Indo-Pacific. I'll be talking about the Southwest Pacific, which is our more immediate neighbourhood. But we have quite an expansive definition of neighbourhood around here, and it still stretches from the South Pole to the equator, uh, and from Australia halfway to Chile, so that's still a fair chunk of the Earth's surface. Now I have to say that from an international security perspective, there are times when this large neighbourhood of ours seems to slip into obscurity. And right now, with the world's eyes on the other side of the globe, it might seem like one of those times. Someone from a much larger country than mine once described this region as strategically irrelevant because of its remoteness and its small populations. I think at the time, I was a bit younger, at the time uh, uh, I think I was a bit offended at first uh, until I considered that strategic relevance isn't necessarily the same as being a nice place to live. But the simple fact of the matter uh, is that in the 21st century, nowhere on earth is remote enough anymore. Nowhere is immune to the big trends that matter, they are truly global. What happens in Eastern Europe, or anywhere else for that matter, affects our region, especially when we're dealing with challenges to the rules-based international system by powers that have a truly global reach. Rules that are successfully unpicked or violated in one part of the world are simultaneously weakened in other parts, including in our own neighbourhood. A glance at the Southwest Pacific suggests that the region's security is all about water, that it's about trade routes, crime routes, maritime power, maritime claims, maritime challenges. And there's no denying, of course, that that is part of the picture. But despite the remote and dispersed populations, the region's security should more importantly be focused on the people. When the people here are secure and resilient, trouble finds it more difficult to get a foothold. There's less need and less room for malign economic or military influences to establish themselves, to have freedom of action or to threaten the security of others in the region. 
And it's the people-to-people -people relationships that endure. Security is undermined here by those who fly in and fly out with opaque or one-dimensional interests, who remain aloof from the people who live here and their many cultures. Security is enhanced here by people who are known, transparent, trusted, people who invest time to listen, people with history. Now that shouldn't be surprising because that's what a good neighbourhood is. But sometimes we look too quickly to solve our geographic and technical challenges at the expense of the human element. New Zealand's most recent defence assessment completed last year highlighted two key trends in the region which are increasingly going to challenge the security of those who live there. Those two trends are climate change and strategic competition. Four years ago, the countries of the Pacific Islands Forum signed the Boy Declaration, which among other things declared climate change to be the greatest security threat to those who live in the region. Climate change is shifting the foundations. It's bringing more frequent and more extreme natural disasters. It's altering the economics of major fisheries and income sources. It's undermining infrastructure. It's threatening water and food security. Ultimately, for some countries in the region, the threat's existential. This is a long-term issue that'll gather momentum, and it's one that systematically weakens existing social, economic, and political foundations. It exacerbates existing risk factors, whether that's good governance, debt levels, or the need for external humanitarian and security support. Meanwhile, strategic competition, like climate change, is also a global phenomenon, as countries, including Russia and China, advance their own visions for a different global order based on increasingly nationalist narratives. Of particular relevance for our own region is China's conflicting approach to the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. Its fusion of military and civilian activities to pursue its interests, its cyber activity, and its use of economic leverage. Climate change and strategic competition don't play out separately. They combine to complicate existing vulnerabilities. Major HADR events become more likely and more frequent, requiring more external support from states who may be competing for regional influence. Resource exploitation, for example, oil and gas or fish, from anywhere from Antarctica to the equator may increase outside of existing rules and agreements and could also be enabled by military support. A military base or a dual use facility may become established in the region by a state that does not share our values or security interests, ultimately threatening the broader security of those who live in the region. These regional trends are slow-burning strategic ones that don't respect short attention spans or distractions. We'll need to be able to tend to current emergencies wherever they occur on the globe, while continuing to take proactive and preemptive care in our own neighbourhood. Preemptive care starts with awareness, and from an air and space perspective, maritime domain awareness, or MDA, across the region's vast distances has long been one of the major challenges. MDA is essential when it comes to fisheries protection, 
transnational crime and military movements. But most of the time, most of the world has not been particularly interested in the South Pacific, which means that neither military nor commercial air and space coverage of the region has ever been very good. That challenge stretches beyond just MDA into communications as well, especially when it comes to high southern latitudes. But innovation in air and space is now promising to bridge that tyranny of distance for us. In the air environment, UAVs have obvious utility for persistent access to remote areas. In space, the opportunities are even greater. While the cost of commercial space-based services has fallen, the availability and capability has increased. In the main, these are not exquisite capabilities. They're not one-stop shop constellations that can solve the MDA challenge. But as individual constellations or services, they're building a layered picture, whether they're providing electro-optic imagery, radar detection, imaging, AIS, or emitter detection. The fact that these growing space capabilities are layers of cheaper constellations and layers of information, and not a single solution, actually is to me a positive step in building our resilience from a regional security perspective. This resilience becomes even stronger when we add our multinational military layers as well. So increasingly, this kind of aerospace innovation is going to improve our regional awareness in a more cost-effective and resilient way, at least in a technical sense, which is often our default setting as aviators. But it also offers a different challenge to us in the human dimension that we're going to have to think about. These new air and space capabilities are becoming more remote from the visibility or experiences of other human beings. UAVs do a poor job of engaging with people, and space assets might as well be invisible. I said earlier that security in our region is strongly linked to the people of the region. It's about human relationships and being present. So our challenge is going to be in humanizing the security advantages that are possible with new technology. And I suggest that we're going to have to do that through greater sharing and co-ownership of the information. While the capabilities themselves will be more invisible, we can increase the regional security value of them if there is a shared regional investment in the information that flows from them. In a sense, it's another way of being present in our own neighbourhood. We'll need to encourage greater co-ownership in a common regional security enterprise with commonly held information at its core, both military and commercial. How else will it be possible to confront the information warfare threats of the future? How else will we hold a shared view of what's true? And how else will regional governments make well-informed decisions about security while retaining their autonomy? It'll require from us a mindset of greater transparency even as our technicians try to solve the headache of variable information security access that comes with it. But one only needs to look at current operations globally to see the value of information transparency. It's not achieved without risks, and it might not even prevent open conflict, but a stronger collective response is more likely. And we have other opportunities to improve the resilience of our regional security. Interoperability between regional partners builds resilience. 
involving more of the neighbourhood in areas such as mission support, air movements, logistics can all strengthen the sense of a common security enterprise. And that's very much the kind of enterprise that South Pacific leaders called for in the Bikitawa uh, Declaration of 2000. In essence, it's neighbourhood countries managing neighbourhood security. Meanwhile, in the air, it's clearer than ever that high-end military capabilities are going to be needed to ensure security in our region in the future, in light of the strategic trends at play. But that doesn't mean that we should overlook low-cost, lower-end capabilities as well. Light, multi-role aircraft, for example, provide good presence, interaction, and utility throughout the region in a proactive way. Again, it's about layers. So to conclude, the future security environment of the Southwest Pacific is going to be increasingly challenged by the big trends, which will combine to weaken the region's foundations. There's good innovation in air and space technologies that's going to help us to manage some of that, but in harnessing those technologies, we need to ensure that we don't undermine the people element. And more than that, we have an opportunity to put information at the heart of a shared regional security endeavour. Resilience can come from layers, transparency, strong co-ownership and strong relationships, and so innovation should follow in those veins. Just in closing, I want to note that progress actually does get made in regional resilience, and it has been made, and it's useful to think about what that progress looks like in practice. And the fact is, it's often invisible because it's about the things that never happened. For example, just within the last five years, there have been major cyclones that hit Vanuatu and Fiji, which even 10 years earlier would have required external involvement from other countries. These events were largely self-managed. And I'll leave you now with one even more invisible example. Four years ago, a small fishing boat set out from Tuvalu. It broke down and became lost at sea. Now, for decades, these kinds of events have required another country to send an aircraft 2,000 miles or so to assist. On this day, though, the fishing boat had a 406 beacon, and the fishermen activated it. It was detected by SARSAT. The information was shared between New Zealand, Fiji, and Tuvalu, and the fishermen were rescued by another boat from Tuvalu. That's not an exciting story. Never made the news. It's not really a big deal but boring can be good in the South Pacific. Resilience can be a story of many small things done well. Thank you. Thank you for being part of the Air and Space Power Centre's 2022 Air and Space Power Conference, which was proudly sponsored by principal sponsor Boeing, major sponsors L3 Harris, Rolls-Royce and Lockheed Martin. If you are looking to consume, contest or contribute to airspace power, please visit www.airpower.airforce.gov.au.